0: i mean what's that football focus doing last week they had brainy this week they got brainy. we're doing it we're literally doing it differently from everybody else hey, as a matter of fact moving forward from this point on i will not make reference to pffs ready to get into it yeah yeah. all right so, we're going team by team i would be very careful tonight stuff. am i gonna get sued got legal on this i yeah, like football like football season all the things that go with it Another day, another dollar, another draft show on the PFF NFL podcast. Sam Monson here, as always. The new version of the Steve stand-in. It's, uh, it's Trevor <laughs> Sikima. Mike Renner's not here, so you get to be the chair, Steve. Or the chair, Steve. The chair, Trev. I, look, I,
1: I feel good. Um, it's just football got done. I feel ready to go. The, bo- the blood's already flowing, so we're going to let the takes fly on this one. 2 days yeah, that's what it is right now. We are <laughs> we are officially in two days. It's draft. That's draft season for me. Right. Doing two days, which funny enough, I actually do NFL stock exchange immediately after this. So wow. we're going three days. We're wow. going fully illegal here with uh, with how much draft stuff we're
0: going. HR on. is right upstairs. I've seen them. They're in it's the building. True. Don't tell them, though, because I do. I, I do like it. I'm trying to get better. at. OK, it. OK we got a fun show today, though. This is uh, episode two of our, our draft series that we're starting. Um, we're going to talk about the, the sort of recent run of quote-unquote toolsy quarterbacks that have worked mm-hmm. out or, or haven't worked out. Um, we're going to talk about the, the instant wide receiver success we've seen in the last few years, these yeah. guys stepping in, being dominant right away. We're going to build a dream wide receiver prospect like we did for quarterbacks last week with Mike. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about dream scenarios for people picking in the top ten. So uh, let's, do it. let's fire this right up. What was our, uh, what's our first one? Let's talk about these toolsy quarterbacks. Okay. This is, this is fascinating to me. Um, we've obviously gone on a run recently of a lot of these guys that we would talk about as, as tools types of prospects working out. Like the strike rate on these guys have been pretty good recently to the point where there was a run of three or four years where Chris Sims looked like he had the answer to quarterback scouting <laughs> because Chris Sims likes toolsy quarterbacks. Right, and right. And they've just been working out for a while. Right. So that looked great. Um, and we've, you know, when you look at the last few draft class, I think there's a bunch of guys that kind of fit into the category of these tools types players. And why that's interesting is because I think there's two of them this year in particular that are going to be relevant when, when we're talking about that. Will Levis from Kentucky mm-hmm. and Anthony Richardson from Florida for, right. for different, you know, reasons, but those are the two guys, particularly when you're comparing them to, you know, the Bryce Youngs of the world um, who like his only flaw essentially is guys really small right um, right so when you compare him to those two guys like the tools I think are going to start to be relevant but when you start looking at the recent draft classes we've got I would say Zach Wilson falls into the tools category even if size sure. wasn't there but like sure arm was a big selling point for him and right mobility was as well even though that was probably either arm, arm was the big one yes arm was the big one for um, Justin Fields obviously 100%. was a toolsy type of quarterback Trey yeah. Lance huge, toolsy type of quarterback. Right. Um, Justin Herbert, certainly relative to Joe Burrow and to, to Tua, mm-hmm. was the toolsy type of quarterback. Um, Jalen Hurts, a little bit later in that same yeah. draft class. Yeah. Uh, Jordan Love, as well, I think, was more of a toolsy type of quarterback. Um, then you got Daniel Jones from that 2019 draft class, I think was quite toolsy. Turned out to be a little toolsy, didn't Well, he? certainly Arm, again, was always a big thing about him. I don't think anyone really understood, for some reason, and even now, I don't understand it, how he's so successful running the ball. Mm-hmm. But, toolsy. Uh 2018, Josh Allen, obviously. The like king. The, the prototype. The king. Toolsy yes. quarterback. Yes. Lamar Jackson as well, just because of the freakish athleticism. Um, you know, the arm is obviously very different, but it falls into that category as well. And then you go back to 2017, and you get, you know, Patrick Mahomes, um, mm-hmm. Deshaun Watson, I think to a degree, Trubisky was probably quite a toolsy quarterback. I consider him that didn't yeah. Re- yeah, work yeah. out. Deshaun Kaiser was certainly a toolsy quarterback. Definitely Yikes. didn't work out. Yeah, it didn't work out. So that that's kind of our run over the last sort of five years of quarterbacks and, and how they've worked out or not. I didn't put Kyler in there on the basis that you know. Big arm, athletic, <laughs> but right? Small dude. I don't think you can be toolsy if you're five foot six.
1: No, yeah, I think you can be toolsy. Really? Yeah, yeah. But I think you, kind of what you're talking about there, and as you list off a lot of those quarterbacks, there's there's a different varying degree. Like like when you brought up Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen back to back. If you were to just kind of blanketly say toolsy quarterbacks, both of them are right there. Lamar's right. got great arm strength. Lamar's got fantastic mobility. The difference was, and the reason why I feel like Lamar didn't get necessarily that like toolsy kind of label isn't because he didn't have them, but it's because Lamar ran a pro-style offense when he was yeah. at Louisville, right? He won a Heisman Trophy. Like, we had already seen the success of this, dude, So, I feel as though we don't often categorize quarterbacks as toolsy if they've almost already proven the tools. We just call them good. Yeah, dude. Josh Allen's the king of was just tools coming out of wyoming that was it it was literally just flashes and he's the one that everybody always goes to like he's the example that people use for will levis for anthony richardson where you go yeah but look what it could be so i just you know when you're when you were kind of like listening off those quarterbacks and you know you bring up the kyler thing it's like is he toolsy yeah kyler does have tools he has a big arm he has the mobility. that's technically what you would categorize as guys who get that label but Kyler also already showed it all in college. Yeah. So it's almost just like, no, no, no,
0: this is kind of just who he is. There's an implied deficiency when you're talking about toolsy yes, quarterbacks. Right. Yes. Like you can't so can you be a toolsy quarterback and go number one overall? Probably not, right? Because you would just be the best quarterback. You wouldn't nobody well, would be saying this is a toolsy type of quarterback. It would right. just be like that's he's just a good QB.
1: Well, The Browns almost did pick Josh Allen. True. They almost did pick Josh Allen. So we almost had that example right there right. of like a tool as a guy potentially going number one. But I do agree with what you're saying. Normally when we use this label for quarterbacks, we're often talking about guys who have not achieved their potential yet. Because yeah. of the of the guys with the tools who have already become good, we just simply call them good. Like right. what you said. The guys who go number one overall, you just call
0: them good quarterbacks. The yeah. analogy I use at the time for Josh Allen is We called him an Ikea quarterback, right? Because... Some assembly required? Well, yeah, exactly. There's a box. (laughs) And all the stuff you need for the thing, whatever it is, is in the box. Yeah, sure. But you have to put it together. Sure. And maybe somebody threw away the instruction manual, so you just got to figure it out. But, like, that's what he is. He's just like a box of bits, right? Like, the the arm is there. The size is there. the The processing ability is there somewhere. Like, it's all in there, but... You have to figure out how to take this box, get all the bits out, and put it together and assemble NFL quarterback.
1: Well, as, uh, as somebody who put together a bed frame a couple weeks ago. Bed frame. Let me tell you. I think I know exactly how to make the most <laughs> out of
0: these quarterbacks that we're going to talk about here nice. on today's show. Mm-hmm. Bed frame feels like quite a low-hanging fruit of the Ikea on. Don't like, take, hierarchy. Don't you know? take this away from me. Okay. Come on. Right, it go. took
1: me it took me like two hours to still do it. I'm okay. proud that's of it. Right. The bed has not caved in. Well, that's a good start. Okay. Yeah, Thank that's
0: you. a good start. Thank so you. let's let's uh, move this forward to this year because Will Levis, the Kentucky quarterback, and Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, those are the two guys that we're going to be talking about the most as toolsy types of quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Look, I want to start with Levis because – it feels like he has the highest ceiling in terms of where he can go in this draft, not where they can be in two years' time, but sure, right. where, like, if a team falls in love with Will Levis, how high could he actually end up getting taken? Mm-hmm. I- Top five. I right. mean, legitimately, it feels like he's got that kind
1: of hype. Now, it was a little crazy when we started to get those whispers a couple of months ago that Will Levis could potentially be picked in this range, but it seems like there's a lot of mock drafts recently that have him in the top 10, and it feels like we're just kind of all accepting that. Um, and we, we've seen this happen, I think, in drafts past shoot. You go to last year, I know it wasn't the quarterback position, but any of you asked a lot of people what they thought of Trayvon Walker, let's say in January everybody would have been like yeah really good athlete uniquely built alien type of athlete guy has a lot of tools uh but would probably be back end of the first round early second round kind of a player you'd probably settle in on back end of the first round right. just because you don't let guys that are that freakishly athletic get out of the first round All of a sudden, he's going number one overall. And we just like
0: slowly got to this point where you had to accept that. We were at the combine, and the discussion was Aiden Hutchinson versus Evan Neal. It wasn't Trayvon Walker. Right. And if you got to
1: April and you were doing a mock draft that didn't have Trayvon Walker number one, it was pointless just because we got to that point. Now, a lot of people are arguing kind of, pros and cons with Will Levis and they're like oh you can't I mean I'm not going to put him in my first round mock draft and it's like all right guys depending on what you're doing the mock for if you don't have Will Levis at least in your top 15 it's probably just gonna be wrong because of what the NFL is looking with him now when you look at Will Levis I'm not as big of a Will Levis proponent as Mike is if Mike (laughs) was sitting in this chair today he'd tell you uh he'd be a little bit more bullish about it but I do certainly see the highs with Will Levis like Mm -hmm. The guy does have an unbelievable arm. When we had him on our show not too long ago, he said that he can throw the ball 80 yards. Like, that's the kind of arm that we're talking about. We're talking about distance. We're talking about velocity. We're talking about overall arm talent totally there with him. The level of quarterbacking when it comes to just, like, IQ, understanding, wisdom of the position, he doesn't really have that. Right? I mean, let's face it. He couldn't beat out Sean Clifford at Penn State. That's and that's why he transferred to Kentucky. Now, I think it was great for him and all around. That first year that he was at Kentucky, he was a first-year starter. So, yeah, he's going to have some lumps that he went against. This past year, dude, he's throwing to nobody. Right. There, there's nobody on Kentucky's offense that's doing anything outside of Will Levis. He was – I can't remember exactly the stat that, that Mike has, but there is a – Demanded tight window throw stat that Mike continually references with Will Levis and the times in which that he was required to make an NFL tight window type of throw because of the lack of separation that his receivers got was so high so far above what the average is in the NFL and in college football and it just goes to show there were no easy yards for this guy there were no easy throws Now, that's not to say that he made every throw perfectly but it is to kind of contextualize why there is an argument for nfl people believing the best is yet to come for will levis they are not judging him this past year at kentucky saying that's it what you see is what you get we're not going to get better than that they're simply saying we see the seeds being planted or roots that could could grow from what his talent is and what it could blossom into in the future
0: how much do you think the recent run of relative success for those toolsy quarterbacks helps guys like levis and richardson massive i think it's it's huge and especially because we're
1: seeing in today's nfl even beyond just the quarterback position so many early contributors right we all talk about the value of a rookie contract we talk about how a, a quarterback a franchise quarterback a good starter on rookie or on a rookie contract is one of the most valuable things not just in the NFL but in sports we see that across all other positions as well it feels as though the league is just at a point to where young guys are getting shot right we see this in college football as well these freshmen these sophomores they're getting on the field that's the recruiting pitch to them and it's happening and it just feels like overall where football is right now coaches and teams are okay with starting these guys at a younger age, or younger into their rookie deal, so I, I believe 100%. You're correct. The run on success in even even if it's sporadic examples goes into that imagination of okay, but what if this guy is Josh Allen? You know, like what if this guy does pan out the way? I mean, Brock Purdy's probably an example too, right? Not necessarily a toolsy quarterback. It's not that same kind of player, but you go, damn! If you draft the right guy, you get him in the right system, you give him some confidence. Look what happens he just he, he plays well and i think all of these examples are whether you want to say positive or negatives into the imagination of some of these gms and head coaches that they can get the most out of these guys not in year two and year three but in
0: year one maybe so i also think there i mean there are obviously people in the nfl that do value the tools more or as much as anything else you know they're really fixated on that kind of thing and if you're one of those guys you are going to push guys like Levis and Richardson up your draft board relative to everybody else because you're going to hate Bryce Young if that's the only thing you love. Right? Like if you if your sole thing is I need a six foot five, two hundred thirty pound guy that can run, mm-hmm. you're going to hate Bryce Young because he's six foot one ninety maybe. You know, right? At the very most generous interpretation, he's probably right. smaller now. Right? He's tiny. And okay, Stroud is bigger than that, but he's not big. He's you know, he's, he's much less of a tools guy than somebody like Levis. So, if that's the thing you're focused on, you are going to push those guys up relative to the other
1: uh, options. 100%. And I think that that's why you get into these debates of, of why Bryce Young might not be the number one overall pick. Right. right? Because you, you, we, we say to ourselves... Well, not every team is going to love Bryce Young for as incredible as the last two years have been for him. You know, we've got some recent examples in the NFL, right? Well, like Look at what has happened with Russell Wilson. I'll just say even over the last couple of years, Russ doesn't like to throw over the middle. And a lot of people wonder, is it because he can't see over the middle? Right. Like, is it because if the, if the pocket is clean and he's staying in the pocket, does he not have a good enough vision over the middle to trust throwing over the middle? Kyler's had the same problem, mm-hmm. right? Do you want to go? the The worst part, it feels like for GMs, and head coaches is when they can visualize a player ceiling when it comes to those higher draft picks if you can visualize a player ceiling already it i don't want to say deters you from taking a player high but it might give you a little bit of hesitation whereas if you go yeah okay i mean like bryce young's been fantastic we've seen him he's been fantastic but like is the height going to be an issue in the nfl have we seen those issues with smaller quarterbacks like and then you go But Levis, right? Levis could be different, and 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 you play and you play this little what if game in your head, and I think sometimes it could be be very dangerous. You know, I go back to the 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 Family Guy sketch where it's like, sure, yeah, a boat's a boat, but the mystery box could be anything. It could even be a boat, you know. And I think that that's sometimes the game that these GMs and these head coaches have to play, and some are better at managing that than (laughs) others.
0: (laughs) Definitely, Um, this extra show, the extra podcast we're doing right now, would not be possible without. Western Southern, our uh, title sponsor, the guys that have the plaque on the wall and help power this whole thing. The PFF podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. westernsouthern.com forward slash PFF. Let's move on to wide receivers. Um, I'm fascinated by this run recently in the last few drafts of how many good wide receivers have entered the league and been good right away. Like you look at last year's draft class. Drake London, Chris Alave, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams basically redshirted last year and still somehow managed to look dangerous. Um, Jahan Dotson was way better than I thought he would be. Uh, Even Traylon Burks, like a lot put on his shoulder, but Mm -hmm. he was healthy. He He was was way better than I thought he was going to be. Christian Watson didn't do anything for the first half of the season then really broke out with a a ton of touchdowns. Even in the second round, guys like George Pickens, you know, you can go quite deep into this draft. Like Romeo Dobbs was the guy getting all the, the preseason hype, didn't necessarily... Uh, continue that but was still dangerous you go back a year that's obviously Jamar Chase Jalen Waddell Devontae Smith Kadarius Tony didn't do anything with the Giants but now it looks devastating in limited action with the Chiefs um, Bateman's been injured a lot Elijah Moore has been that whatever weird thing is going on with the Jets um <laughs> And then, you know, you go back a year before that, okay, Henry Ruggs obviously is his own case, but Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, Brandon Aiyuk, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman. Like, we've had this insane run of a lot of really good wide receivers and a pretty good strike rate, and these guys hitting the ground running, mm-hmm. like, right away. First of all, what do you, what do you think is driving that instant success?
1: I, I, I do think that a lot of these wide receivers are a lot more ready for the nfl because college i feel like over the last couple of years let's just say over the last five six seven whatever it is has become a lot more pass heavy right and i Mm -hmm. feel like you are seeing more advanced passing attacks in college like you just have a lot of this whether it's spread concepts air raids whatever you want to call it a lot of these teams they're living in a lot more 11 personnel, just getting more wide receivers out on the field there are more wide receivers that are getting more experience on the field than i feel like have been in the past so this is a building into them getting a ton of experience in college and when they get to the nfl it's not like this is all new to them I feel like they're very used to being the man like being the go-to guy so that kind of target share isn't unfamiliar to them and in, in fact like that's probably what they're used to right they're, i feel like it would be worse for some of these guys to come into the nfl and it's like all right you were used to getting 10 targets a game at ohio state or usc or alabama or wherever it was now you're getting one and i feel like that's more of an adjustment than even getting a full-time load in the nfl is not to say there's not a learning curve when you're going up against different defenses but I just feel like these guys are a lot more ready. And we're seeing it all the way back at the high school level too, right? You've seen the growth of um, 11 on 11s, these uh, Elite 11 camps, these 7 on 7 camps, and like all this. And, And what are those doing? Those are developing skill players, particularly wide receivers. So... Even going back to high school, a lot of how recruiting is done now is is much more friendly to developing these skill players to where when they get on campus somewhere, especially a lot of these four or five star guys, they're expected to be able to play right away. And they can. And then all of a sudden now you've got these guys who juniors might have three years of starting experience as like serious skill player guys at legit universities. It's not this this. A four-star guy who went into a smaller program who just happened to be the best wide receiver there. It's guys from Bama, from Ohio State, from from all of these major college football programs. So I think that kind of goes into it. It's just, sure, we're seeing a increase of passing game everywhere, but it's always a trickle-up effect. High school gives trends to college, which gives trends to the NFL. And I feel as though we are now at the point to where A lot of those big changes that have been happening in high school with high school offenses and recruiting camps has bled into college and how colleges go about their offenses and how they utilize their star players now we're seeing more of those guys ready to contribute early at the nfl level
0: it would be really interesting to go back you know a number of years and sort of work out what the totality of snaps looks like for a wide receiver by the time they make it to the nfl now versus you know 10 20 years ago because with all these spread offenses, like not only are they giving these guys more opportunities, but there's more wide receivers on the field at the same time, Mm -hmm. right? So even if you come in and for your first couple of years, freshman, sophomore, even if you're buried on the depth chart behind a couple of superstars that are heading to the NFL from the first round, you can still be the third guy running 25 snaps a game Mm. or running 25 routes a game in a way that probably wasn't an option 10, 20 years ago. Like you would just be sitting on the bench watching this happen right and then when that guy leaves now you get to step up and that's the first time we get to see if you can even do this anymore but now those guys can almost apprenticeship from the game like they can actually be running routes developing getting coached presumably during the week Mm -hmm. you know because the tape is still there even if you're not getting the ball because it's going to the first round superstar somebody is still going okay here's what you need to work on this is this was sloppy this needs to be fixed blah 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 It feels like these guys are reaching the point where by the time they get to the NFL, just the number of snaps they've played, the number of routes they've run is immeasurably more than it was in the past. They're much
1: more experienced now. Being a rookie does not mean the same thing today, especially for the skill position wide receiver, specifically for this conversation, than it did 10 years ago. It's just not the same conversation. I, I think before if you weren't a first-round pick wide receiver, it was really hard to be a difference maker early on in your career. Now you got Amon Ross St. Brown's drafted in the fourth round, and this dude is leading the Lions receiving core. Right. Like he, is, he is the main passing weapon that they have. And I just don't think that that was ever really a thing, to to, at least
0: to the extent that it is today. I agree with you. Now, that being said, this does not sound like it is as good a wide receiver class as the last few. So in addition to just we've this I think what we just talked about is absolutely real and it is becoming easier and easier for wide receivers to enter the NFL and be successful right away. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably also seen a run of three or four very good wide receiver draft classes. Yeah, class. we
1: have. And it's 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 not going to be as strong this year. I think depending on who your wide receiver one is, I mean, I think it's probably Three different players that I've heard a lot. Quentin Johnson's the one from TCU that I hear a ton about being potentially wide receiver one. Jordan oh Addison, God. the former Bolitnikoff winner. We talked I know, we talked about this a little bit pre-show. Um, the former Bolitnikoff winner who's now at USC, Jordan Addison He's a lot of people's wide receiver one as well. There's some love for Zay Jones from Boston College as, as a wide receiver Zay one. Flowers, he, right? He's just, sorry, yeah, Zay Flowers. Who did I say? Zay, Zay Jones. oh well, Yeah, okay. Um, please don't let me mess that up because <laughs> I'm going to a million times this draft season and I need somebody to beat it out of my head. Uh, Zay Flowers, where he's not built like a traditional wide receiver one, but he gets a lot of production and he has a lot of separation ability, so I know a lot of people like him. But I think for Flowers to even be in the conversation as a potential wide receiver one in a class – unfortunately goes to show you where the ceiling of it is, especially compared to last year. I think whoever you have as wide receiver one in this year's class is probably wide receiver six at best in last year's group.
0: Now, people that listen to the podcast a lot will be familiar with Steve's model. Are you familiar with the model?
1: No, other than the other than the, the hair making him look like a model. No, uh, that's, no. that's all There's I got. Are we talking about something else? Okay.
0: Steve right. has been creating his own sort of superstar um, uh, like infinity gauntlet model that just folds in every piece of information in the known world and tells you whether a player is going to be good or not. Sure. So it's really, you know, it's, it's the, the the holy grail of draft scouting. Okay, great. Um, and I'll he's, stop watching tape and I'll right. just get with him then. And he's been using this, you know, across the board, every position. Uh-huh. This is the model guy. This is not a model guy. Don't, the model doesn't like this guy. So he has sent me what is essentially a composite of the consensus board for wide receivers mm-hmm. and the model. Right, So top right, the consensus board and the model likes these receivers. So Jordan Addison is there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba is there. Mm -hmm. Josh Downs is there. Mm -hmm. Then the further left you go, but still up, it's the consensus board loves these guys. Model, not so much. Model doesn't like Quentin Johnston as much. Mm -hmm. He's middle of the pack for the model. Model doesn't like Zay Flowers even less. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then when you go down, but right, the model likes these guys. But the consensus board does not so who we got down here we've got kiaris jackson is the furthest guy in okay. that quadrant um and then you know bottom left is nobody likes him model or i'm not even going to name those guys feel okay. That to me. <laughs> okay okay the, but the point is if you're in that quadrant sure you stick I, yeah i understand everybody the thinks now. you're bad yes. the model thinks you're bad and <laughs> the consensus board thinks you're bad you have no shot essentially so I don't, feel it's, I don't feel it's appropriate to name those people. That's no, it's good on you. You're, Particularly because I yet don't know whether they're supposed to be good or not. So right, right, it's right. Literally taking a dump over some guy that's been told. He's, <laughs> you're an undrafted free agent at best, sir. You might as well just get your education and then start sending some applications out. Hey, education's never a bad thing. No, 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 go it's, go it's fine. Them. I'm just we'll saying, you know, those are not people you want to dump on on a, <laughs> a podcast. <laughs> um, but anyway, I just think it's fascinating that you know, those two guys, Zay Flowers and, and Quentin Johnston, mm-hmm. the model, we've yet to, you know, really, I think, play out the efficacy of the model. But model doesn't like those guys as much as the rest.
1: It's, again, like, it's it's going to be a polarizing class in that regard just because the league is so starving for passing game playmakers every year. We see so many come through, and yet every year there's always teams that could desperately use another playmaker the New York Giants, right? The Baltimore Ravens, sure. uh, even the Los Angeles Chargers, the Dallas Cowboys, right? Like, like these are just teams that I just thought off of the top of my head where it's like, yeah, wide receiver. These teams need go to wide receivers in the passing game. But this class, does it warrant a guy being a really high first round pick in that regard? I don't know.
0: Doesn't this feel a little bit like last year though, where a lot of, there was a lot of conversation last year of there's no Jamar Chase in this draft, right? Which I think after a year is probably true. That being said, I mean, Garrett Wilson was pretty useful. <laughs> yeah, know? I always... I, I don't know. I, but I think that's true. I'm not sure that Garrett Wilson has a Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase type of ceiling to his game. But did it matter? Like, what he was able to do was still more than good enough for a team that was in need of wide receiver help. I was going to say, man, you put Garrett
1: Wilson either on another team or you just put him with a different quarterback and I think that we're talking about a phenomenal year oh I, mean, I agree he like, had a, he had a good year anyways yeah. but just to go to your point like if, if I mean, anybody's saying I was
0: saying that but like statistically at one point certainly very close to the end of the season if you just stripped out non Zach Wilson games like he was on pace for Jamar Chase season right right so right but I still think that like there's a difference as much as I love Garrett Wilson, like he was my number see, everyone's one. still picking Jamar Chase. Yeah, over he Garrett was my Wilson. number yeah. one receiver in that draft class. Yeah. I still think that like there are things Chase can do that he can't. I would.
1: I think that Wilson had a phenomenal year, obviously, and but I don't think anybody's
0: taking him over Jamar right. Chase. So, but but my point being, like, that was the. We heard a lot of that a year ago. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, there's no Jamar Chase. It's different this this year.
1: To, 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 I guess, I see the conversation that you're kind of bringing up. It's definitely different. Right. Like, last year, I think there were a lot of people that were going, oh, there's no. all-pro rookie wide receivers, and that's like a crazy high bar right. to say. Nobody's this year, break the record this the, year. Right, this year it's different. This year the bar is a lot lower for okay. the wide receiver
0: class. Um, so let's move and let's build a what a perfect receiver prospect looks like. We did this with quarterbacks. Okay, um, I thought it was kind of fun. So we've broken down our wide receiver prospect into six separate categories. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to give you the NFL prototype okay. for each one, and then you can tell me who that is in this draft class. So we've got hands route running speed size and frame um how he does at the catch point and then yards after the catch i think there's a few different sort of nuanced bits that you could maybe fold into different categories or give them their own category by themselves but mm-hmm. i think broadly speaking those are the six okay so nfl prototypes for each one of those things hands i think has to be deandre nuke hopkins I, I maybe you can argue a couple of other guys but i think nuke is the guy with the best hands i i
1: i think i would agree with you um maybe there wasn't as many highlights this year for him that people can point to but the dude's insane i mean very few very few wide receivers can make the most out of their catch radius we all love to talk about catch radius right we love to talk about how long is the wingspan and we go "Ooh, yeah but the potential catch radius like all right if we're being honest when you watch the tape do they actually get the most out of the catch radius? Because if they don't, like Mike Evans, for example. Mike Evans, I think, does a good job sometimes with the catch radius. Like, sometimes we've seen Mike Evans sky for catches and fully extend the hands, and like he has that potential, but... There's a lot of times when Mike Evans will let catches come into his chest and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, the catch radius doesn't really matter at that point. Nuke not only has phenomenal hand-eye coordination, he does, I think, an excellent job of always making the most out of his catch radius, which goes into it too.
0: Yeah, let me run through the rest. We've got route running. I've got Devontae Adams. Um, yeah, I can't. I think you can make an argument it. for a couple of other guys, Cooper Cup, uh, Stefan Diggs, but I think Devontae uh, yeah. Adams is the best composite of all of that. Only one I'd say is Cup. Yeah, that's, speed. That's- it's Tyreek Hill. There Ah, is no other answer to that. It is Tyreek Hill, the end of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Size and frame, I went with DK Metcalf. I think you could make a a good argument as well for AJ Brown, fellow teammates. Um, But I think Metcalf's just, he's the guy that's just so utterly physically freaky. You know, he's the closest guy now to what used to be Julio Jones and then what used to be Megatron and Randy Moss. Right. That, I think, is DK Metcalf right now. Yeah. Catch point, I went with George Pickens. Um, I think you can – DeAndre Hopkins is in that conversation again, but Pickens is so good with the ball in the air. And I think probably the best guy in the league already after just one year. And then yards after the catch, I went with Debo. Different – I mean, very unique. Very unique. You can't do that. Unique wide receiver. Um, But just give that guy the ball. Stand back. You can't say unique? You can't modify unique unique means one of a kind so oh sure, sure very one of a kind yeah i see what you're saying yeah I see what you're It's saying. just bad yeah. It's bad no it's good it's you know you caught yourself That's i know what are you after good. It said it and therefore it looks stupid anyway um but yeah like debo you give him the ball you stand back you watch it's just it's different nobody else can do that
1: yeah um the i guess i'm trying to think in my head the only one that i would really argue with route running would be cooper cut but i mm-hmm. think you just you have to give it to Devontae adams he's i i said this a couple of weeks ago there are other wide receivers who maybe you could put the value on it being higher. Like, for example, like people look at Tyreek Hill's speed and what kind of a weapon that is with and without the ball and say that's the most impactful, valuable wide receiver in the NFL. Sure. And I would understand that argument. When it comes to mastery of the position... I would tell you that there's nobody better than Devontae Adams. Yeah, I would tell I would tell you that he is the master of the wide receiver position in the NFL. So the only one that I would argue with Cooper Cup it, it, with that one would be Cooper Cup speed. There's no debate with Tyreek Hill. Um, what was uh what were the other ones? Size and frame. DK. Man. I mean, again, like I Mike Evans is probably up there, but he doesn't use it as consistently as DK does. So I agree with that one, especially with the size and strength combination yeah. of what DK is. Um, who's catch point? George Pickens. Oh, man. This makes, my, this makes my heart so happy because I feel like I was I was uh, carrying the flag for George Pickens a lot last offseason. I had him at wide receiver one at one point. Wow. Um, I had him at wide receiver one, I think, at the beginning of January. And then I went back, and I I ended up having Drake London and Jamison Williams above him. So I ended up with Pickens as wide receiver three. But even I am shocked at just how continually dominant he has been going to the NFL level, mainly as a contested catch wide receiver. Absolutely. He was nuts and I think people in the chat are probably going to freak out about you having a rookie as the best contested catch wide receiver Don't care, but the thing is is that if he's not one right, he's top, he's like top three already when he was he, able to do this last year just the contested catch percentage I feel like was insane 68% him. of contested catches it's last stupid. year
0: if you're above 50 you're doing well 68 is nuts stupid
1: just absolutely stupid uh, and then yards have to catch Debo I can't argue that who, who else am I going to go with I mean there's a lot of good yards after catch wide receivers in the NFL so this sounds insulting yeah even like Cooper Cup, phenomenal Justin Jefferson phenomenal Stephon Diggs could be
0: fantastic as well but Debo is different the only thing that's slightly weird about it is because he's such a, a strange positionless type of player so many of his yards after the catch plays are not like conventional wide receiver plays you know what I mean they they sort of specifically manufacture sure. yards after the catch touches because he's so good but it's like I don't think that's a negative on him I don't think it's a negative but what I'm saying is like how many other receivers maybe would be able to do some more special things after the catch if they got given those kinds of shots Sure. like, like I think Tyreek Hill is one of the best run after the catch receivers in the NFL oh, yeah has to be but yeah. he doesn't necessarily get as many of those opportunities AJ Brown's also phenomenal after the catch right yeah I think Garrett Wilson was Incredibly good after the catch. Well,
1: it's because he's so, dude, so quick. Yeah, right. Just he gets that separation, creates the the throwing window, and boom, he's off to the races. Like it feel it feels insulting that we don't have AJ Brown on here, but he's within the conversation of a couple of these categories. Yeah, I just didn't. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't. I don't know if
0: I'd put him. And there's something to that. To that. Like the, the perfect wide receiver is the composite of this. It's not each individual one. So if right. you're the second best guy, and all these, you're probably the best guy that the league has seen in <laughs> yeah. quite a number of right. years. Right. Right. Um, all right, let, give me the uh, what does the wide receiver draft class look like for each of these? Okay, players?
1: do you want me to like run down each of them and explain a little bit of it as I kind of go on, or do you want me to just uh, say all of them and then we'll you we touch on it after?
0: Yeah, let, let's let's give me each guy and then let's give me a sort of this is him and why.
1: Okay, all right, all right, so I can do that. Hands Parker Washington for Penn State. I seem to be like the number one parker washington fan in 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 the draft community right now i i think he's fantastic he is a smaller guy i believe he's right around six feet maybe a little bit less than that but he's a powerful dude he's over 200 pounds and if you're playing in this slot he's like a power slot kind of a player but he plays on the outside as well the thing that impressed me the most with him is he is consistently consistently a hands catcher the hands are always out and extended to go get the ball obviously there's times when the situation calls for him corralling it into his chest but most of the time if he has the opportunity to extend for it and make the most of whatever his catch radius is which that could be short intermediate deep down the field i've seen it all from him he is an extended he extends the hands and he is consistently going out to get the ball and attacking the ball and doing it very very well his um catchable passes caught percentage i said that right i think over 90 percent this year which is good that's where you want to be you want to be over 90 percent. he didn't have a ton of contested catch opportunities but he was at 71 percent on the season the guy is an extremely low drop rate an extremely high contested catch percentage and an extremely high just overall catch percentage so for hands i think that he is he's the guy that i point to somebody who i really like in this class again
0: don't know if you put any stock in it or not but the model Model likes him a lot.
1: Let's go, Steve.
0: <laughs> I, I always believed in your work, Steve. number two, maybe in the model? Two or three? I can't I can't I line those dots up properly off eyeballing it. Um yeah, so there you go. I knew you were a smart guy, Steve.
1: Uh okay, next route running. I think a lot of people would expect two names here. And the name that I'm going to say is neither of those two. <laughs> I think a lot of people would expect Josh Downs, who is a slot machine. Just realized saying, those words mean something different, mm. like an actual strategy, but he is a slot receiver machine in the UNC offense. Uh, good route runner, good yards after the catch guy, or Ohio State's Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is also a very savvy route runner. My choice here is Charlie Jones, the wide receiver from Purdue. Now, Charlie Jones has an extremely interesting journey. This is another guy, not a big not a big dude. He's not going to be a star-studded guy. He's six feet tall, about 190 pounds, started his career at Buffalo. okay, Buffalo University, didn't really get on the field much, played special teams early, kind of played a little bit the next year, but he was like, look, I, I had dreams of playing in the Big Ten. Ends up transferring to Iowa, is a walk-on at Iowa, makes the team, again, plays special teams for him. finally gets involved in the offense's fourth year, but again, barely, they barely use. Him. Ends up transferring to Purdue this past year with Aiden O'Connell. He had like 1,300 receiving yards, 12 touchdowns. I mean, he was an absolute monster. And the reason why is because this dude has gone to work on his craft. And when it comes to the releases that he has at the line scrimmage, setting guys up to open their shoulder and shoulders and hips and then attack them the other way, going after blind spots, in routes, out routes, slants, mesh, um, skinny posts, fade routes, comebacks this dude does it all his route tree is incredibly diverse he knows how to get off the line scrimmage he knows how to beat press the footwork's fantastic he is to me the best route runner in this class now i don't know how high he's going to get drafted i don't know where people are going to take him but that is where my mind went and i went back and i specifically in preparing for this podcast i was like am i crazy if i put charlie jones here and I went, I, I sure as hell, I went back and I watched Jackson Smith and Jake, but I watched Josh Downs. I watched a couple of other slot receivers. I watched uh, Xavier Hutchinson from Iowa State, who I think is a good route runner for a bigger wide receiver. And then I watched Jones and I'm like, this dude's feet are better. This dude's releases are better. This dude's uh, how he sets up uh, cornerbacks. He understands things so well. He, uh, he There's no route, whether turning in or out or whatever he just knows how to do it all so he is my uh route running champ in this class all right what do we got for speed speed jalen hyatt it has to be jalen hyatt tennessee jalen hyatt now i will say josh Heipel, their head coach does a phenomenal job of scheming him to get up the most out of his speed. Mm-hmm. They play a lot of their wide receivers in the stack alignments. so it's almost a little bit of like a mini version of you know how the Canadian Football League wide receivers can right. get a head start and then you just start running. Well, they will play their guys in um, really deep stacked alignments on top of each other. So one wide receiver is on the line of scrimmage, the other one is behind them about two, three, four, whatever it is yards. So the guy on the line of scrimmage is taking up the player with press coverage, and the other and the other player behind them gets to get a head start before he even reaches the line of scrimmage and can even get into the contact window with whoever is playing corner up against them at that point jalen hyatt is so damn fast that if you had anybody standing on the line scrimmage while he had a head start goodbye it's over it's not even close so the speed in which this guy has is such a weapon and tennessee put that on display there's not a ton of elite athletes in this class there's not okay but i think jalen hyatt deep speed he's the guy that you would want that regard.
0: Okay. He is approaching the Quentin Johnston area of the model, okay. you know, where okay. the consensus loves him. The model, not so much. He is, I will,
1: I will tell you, a, And a lot of people are worried about him because he is just a speed guy. Like He is somebody who you are either running a go, a comeback, a post, or maybe a deep dig route over the middle. There's not a lot of versatility to his route running right now. There's just not. So I think he's very limited in his production and what he was asked to do at Tennessee. He was just put in a really good place to make the most out of the, the thing that he does right. that he has that is
0: very elite. So size and frame, who's our DK?
1: Size and frame, I, well... Don't say don't don't say who's our DK because catch point <laughs> is a little bit different than that. I think the the guy I have for catch points is a little bit closer to that. But I did go Quentin Johnson for size and frame, just because of the players that certainly are going to be picked high in this class. He stands out literally because he is bigger, yeah. because he is a good athlete at his size. You get guys like Jack Smith and Jake with Josh Downs, um, Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, a lot of these other guys who might be picked in the top fifty or around the top fifty they don't even come close to having the size and the frame that quentin johnson does so it feels like if you're going to take a bet on one of those guys in this class it would be him though the production isn't fully there for him i still think he's a really good athlete for a player his size i think there is some route running versatility and potential that hasn't even really been asked of him yet that he could be even better at in the nfl Um, and i do think that he has shown Maybe not as consistent as you want, but some good contested catches and making the most out of his frame, and, and especially because he's a guy who I think is going to test well explosively with the jumps. So I think that that goes into it too.
0: What do you think he's going to run?
1: I would love for Quinn Johnson to run like just high four fours. Like, high four fours. Like I'm good with that. Okay. Anything in the four fours for Quinn Johnson? I'm good
0: with. I think four four is very very likely. You think? Yeah. Like flat? i love that. I could see 4-4 four, four flat.
1: I would love for, I was about to say he's like...
0: such a long strider. I was about to say low
1: four fours, but the 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 issue with the 40 for me is always like the training for it. Sure. You know, like yeah, it's yeah. just getting down in the stance and he is a bigger dude, like a longer yes. dude. So can you get comfortable getting in the stance to actually make the most out of the right. first 10 yards? Because I do agree, he's a long strider. He's a bigger guy. To be safe, I'll say low four or I'll say high four fours. But he, I think, when you get him in stride,
0: yeah, he's a four four flat kind of a player. there's enough quick twitch that I don't think he's I don't think he's dead over the first ten yards either. So I think he should be alive, you know, after ten, and then once that stride hits, just takes off. Hopefully, would love, so I see see, I four, four, would love to see it. I could see four four. Would love to see it. Right, catch point. SMU's Rasheed Rice.
1: Um... Rice has been pretty dominant, especially in the red zone over the last couple of years. This year, he took his game to another level. This dude, it just loves to be physical with you straight up people will play press coverage on him and he welcomes it he loves the contact window he loves getting shoot he loves dictating the contact coming off the line scrimmage (laughs) he'll run a lot of uh a lot of go routes up the sideline a lot of comeback stuff um a a lot of it is very like sideline work mike williams-esque where you're just he is not going to create a lot of separation for you but smu continually was just like i'm gonna bet on my guy versus their guy and he always seemed to come down with it he He felt like a bully in that regard where he was just going up against corners that did not have the strength level to go up against him. And I felt like – I I thought the contested catch percentage would – and and this is maybe a little unfair to him. You mentioned a contested catch percentage that you like to see is like anything above 50%. Mm. I believe he had 16 contested catches on 33 contested catch opportunities. So it's a little less than 50%, but – is right there at that 50% number. So he is somebody who I think dominates at the catch point with strength. So he's the guy that I had to pick
0: there. Okay, last one, and then we'll run through them all. I think we have a little graphic. uh, Yards after the catch. Uh, Zay Flowers.
1: I think it's got to be Zay Flowers. Zay Flowers is one of the only uh, wide receivers, I think, in this class that brings you that. If you're looking for any sort of Debo Samuel type, Ability—that's this guy. I think he is a really great separator, especially when you get him into the open field. If you allow him to run mesh concepts, if you get him with like deep over routes, like if you get him the ball even behind the line of scrimmage, some wide receiver screens, this guy can really hurt you. I think he's one of the best separators in this class. Now, I think there are other—I think there are better, maybe cleaner route runners, but when it comes to the athletic ability of separation, I feel like Zay Flowers is one of the best if not the best in this class at that so he can definitely he can definitely improve how clean his route running is how he sets cornerbacks up to get them to open up their hips one way and then he puts his foot in the ground and boom turns the other way things like that um but i think that that can certainly come in the nfl what i love about him is he already has the athletic ability to be a yards after catch guy
0: all right so there we go we built uh, the perfect wide receiver nfl wide receiver prospect from this draft class Um, Now let's talk about what the dream scenario is for each team currently picking in the top 10. Ooh, okay. So it's got to start with Chicago. We talked about this a little bit last week with Mike. Me and Steve talked about it a bit. What is your dream scenario for the Chicago Bears, given that they start with the number one overall pick?
1: Uh, I think the dream scenario for the Chicago Bears is Indianapolis gives you three first-round picks to go from one to four, or like
0: whatever it is. Right. That's, That's the dream. My only stipulation for any trade haul is that one of the first round picks has to be next year yeah i want two first round picks next year just in case oh for yeah 100 thing doesn't work
1: yeah and uh ballard doesn't seem to be like a guy who's going to give up three first round picks especially to move from four to one so i think that what ends up happening is you get a one this year you get four this year you get a first round pick next year and maybe you get you know a uh, day two pick three years from now. Or like, I think a lot of that, though, depends on just how,
0: like, just how
1: frustrated Jim Irsay is. You and I think I mean? the Jim, not only does that go into it, but also I think there are a lot of other teams that would consider moving up to number one, right? Number one's going to be for sale for the Houston Texans at two, the Indianapolis Colts at four, the Vegas Raiders at seven, perhaps Atlanta at eight, probably not, though. Carolina at nine, Tennessee at 11, New York Jets at 13, Washington Commanders at 16, all of those teams will call the Chicago Bears about potentially moving up to number one. But I think their dream scenario is you don't want to go too far down because right. you still want to get Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, but getting some extra first-round picks and moving down. That's yeah, fine, I think way.
0: four is absolutely probably the dream scenario, particularly if you can get that first-round pick next year.
1: But Ballard's going to know that too. Yes. And he's going to use that as, as leverage against them. To I know, also
0: wonder, though, like just how good the scenario for them is. Like how good would the package be just to move down that one spot? just from Houston. Like, particularly when you when you factor in the fact that Houston <laughs> screwed that up by winning a random game at the end of the year. Like, what could Chicago get simply from moving down one spot to draft a player that were going to draft the one anyway? That, theoretically, could be a dream scenario as well. I,
1: I just love that Chicago has the number one overall pick because it gives us some great conversations over the next what? whatever couple of months.
0: So that brings us to Houston. After shooting themselves in the foot, mm-hmm. what is their dream scenario? Dream scenario is... <laughs> I mean, the true scenario is Chicago stays at number one and takes a
1: defensive player, uh, and then they get Bryce Young at, at number two overall. It's so funny. We did so many mock drafts for Houston throughout the season, and it was just Bryce Young and all of them, Bryce Young and all mm-hmm. of them, and now they win a pointless game at the end of the season, and now they might not have that chance. So I just think it's a quarterback one way or the other. You'd love for it to be Bryce Young, but if it's not Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, whoever it's going to be, too, you just have to get a young one.
0: Yeah, I mean, the sequence of optimal scenarios for them is number one the bears are stuck at one they pick a player that isn't a quarterback and you get the guy you were going to draft at number one overall anyway right and the right. fact that you won the game doesn't actually matter yeah number two um somebody moves to number one and they draft a quarterback that you weren't going to take so mm-hmm. maybe the colts love will levis and they draft all they're move all the way to number one and they that is the dream Jim yes. Mercer wanders yes. out there stamps his flag in the ground and he's drafting Will Levis and then you get Bryce Young um, and then number three is probably you trade and get like make sure you get your guy I think that's probably better than not getting him if you believe he's the guy Bryce Young I think that's probably ahead in my sequence of scenarios for Houston, for Houston. like it's probably better to trade to number one and get Bryce Young versus sit there, let somebody else do it. Yeah. You pick number two. No, in your if, if you're Houston, like I said, it, it, it's
1: annoying yes. that you would have to trade up the number one. But if you like Bryce Young more than any other quarterback in this class, and it's not even close, pay the price, whatever mm-hmm. it costs. Like, you, you won the game. You can't change that. Right. Don't compile a negative with more negatives and end up not getting the quarterback that you think is going to absolutely change the future.
0: All right. Number three, Arizona. This is difficult because they're in such a state of flux overall right now. This is another spot
1: where I would trade down if I was Arizona. Okay. Um, I don't think any, I don't think Arizona is anywhere close to competing. J.J. Watt was the best player on that defensive line. J.J. JJ Watt is gone. Um, the rest of that defense needs a ton of work. I think the secondary already needs a ton of work. They need work at the linebacker level, too, even though they drafted a linebacker over the last couple of drafts. Um, the offensive line desperately needs work they're talking about trading deandre hopkins kyler murray is going to miss basically all of next year as well so if i'm arizona you need help in both trenches could you draft a trench player at three sure you can draft yourself will anderson at number three and be happy with it or, or jalen carter if you wanted to but i think the most advantageous move for arizona is knowing that if quarterback goes one and two And if the only other one in the conversation that a lot of people like is whoever's left between Will Levis and CJ Stroud, you then also have bargaining power with any of those other teams you could trade down to. So, for example, I look at Carolina, right? If Carolina gets outbid for number one overall, if Chicago doesn't want to move all the way down to nine and Indianapolis goes up to get their quarterback, Houston then takes their quarterback too, Mm. brother, Carolina needs a quarterback. They, they can't sit at nine. They just can't sit there at nine, especially knowing that Vegas is sitting at seven. Yeah. Right? And especially, you know, knowing that you've got Seattle and Detroit, maybe they are teams that are willing to move. They have a ton of flexibility because they have extra first round picks too. So if you're Carolina, then Arizona might be in a spot where they go, all right, we'll trade down to nine. We'll draft what OT one in this class at nine. We'll draft, you know, a Miles Murphy at Tyree Wilson or whoever it is at nine. They just need to get better in the trenches. And I don't think they have to do it at three. for for as good as I think Will Anderson and Jalen Carter are, this Arizona Cardinals team is nowhere close to a Jalen Carter or Will Anderson away from being good. I think they're a long ways away from being good, actually. So I would tell you the dream scenario for Arizona is trade down to nine, get some extra draft capital next year, and uh, continue to build that roster the way they need to.
0: I mean, I think the single biggest thing is that Murray's hurt. Like, you're not, you know, you're not talking about a team where even with everything they've got going wrong for them right now, they would have Kyler Murray starting week one, and everything would look great. You know, 100 percent healthy, like they're a team staring into next year where they might not have Kyler Murray healthy for most of the year, if mm-hmm. not all of it. Like that that's a tough spot to be in. Indianapolis, number four. I
1: mean the dream scenario for them is that it doesn't cost them too much to move up to number one. Um I don't I don't really know if you I don't know if they can live in a world where they just like sit back at number four and just take whoever's that's left.
0: probably too dream, right? Like right. It's, it's right. too much of a dream. That they can well. The dream is Bryce Young. That's the answer to the question. Well, so the dream is either Bryce Young, but maybe the real dream is that they actually think somebody's better than Bryce Young, and then it's possible to draft him at four. Like, if you happen to believe that either Stroud or Levis either is better right now or has a higher ceiling... See, but there's no... To me, and we're, we're getting into kind
1: of like what you said there, where, like, that's almost like too much of the dream. Right. Like, to me, there's no way three picks go by and... Bryce Young doesn't get chosen.
0: No, 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 but that's what I'm saying. So if if you believe that either Levis or Stroud, either right now or in the future, is the better player Mm -hmm. over Bryce Young, you can sit at four, let somebody draft Bryce Young, and then all you got to do is get by two more picks before your guy comes up.
1: The dream scenario for the Indianapolis Colts is drafting your ideal quarterback, whoever it is, for the cheapest price. Right. Whether that is bryce young and you got to move up to one and just hoping it doesn't cost you literally your entire next two years drafts or whether it's sitting at number four only having to use one draft pick on the guy who might be qb2 in this class might be qb3 in this class but that you actually think that is the best so there's just so many different avenues that just has, you
0: know? playing the either or scenario if they have to give up let's say three first round picks To move to number one, Mm -hmm. to get Bryce Young, Mm -hmm. Bryce Young plus three first-round picks, or C.J. Stroud or Will Levis, without moving. I, I mean, I
1: think Bryce is the best, right, by far. But that's not the question. So, but like three
0: first-round picks, but that's
1: the thing is that I am not a proponent of bargain bin shopping at quarterback. If you have a quarterback that you think is better and you have a chance to go get him, go get him. That's, that's how I view it.
0: Yeah, but at some point, the price is relevant, right? Like it, no, 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 no. Can... I'm, yeah, I'm
1: not saying that the price is irrelevant, but like you have to do it if you're in Indianapolis at this point. What are you doing if not? Because if, if you sit at four, what, what, if, what if you sit at four and you go, okay, well, we like Bryce Young clearly the most, but like, we also like Will Levis. Okay, well, what if Le- Will Levis is gone? Are you just taking CJ Stroud? So you're taking a guy that like, yeah, okay, we liked him. How much does that change what you do in the future?
0: But if, I, if if Young goes one, you probably only have to get by one pick. Because essentially, like, either... I don't know if that's the case. Well, Houston, I mean, either Houston or somebody else drafting to one is I, taking it, I right? think Caroline is... Well, go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Keep At which point, like, one of your picks is probably Chicago, who aren't going to take the quarterback. Mm-hmm. The other one is Arizona. So you're relying on somebody trading out of that to draft to, to draft the one other quarterback ahead of you. Like... If, if Bryce Young goes number one, I would say there's a pretty good chance that the next quarterback makes it to Indy. So in this scenario, I
1: think that Carolina would probably be the one to get up to one. So Because Car- Carolina, I think, is going to be very desperate. I think Carolina is going to want to be really aggressive for a quarterback. I think they're sick of it. I think they're sick of the quarterback carousel. I don't think they're, they're going to want a veteran. I think they're going to want to invest in somebody. So, in that scenario, I think it's probably Carolina that's moving up to one quarterback goes one, quarterback goes two <laughs> and then if you're if you're okay rolling the dice and thinking that Arizona's not going to move, which maybe they're not you know that's all the Intel that you do you try to figure it out like right. perhaps Arizona's not even thinking about that. perhaps Arizona's like, oh we, will, we need a defensive player will Anderson's on the board he's an unbelievable defensive player. We'll take Will Anderson at three I mean then are are you, are you okay with that at four Maybe. <laughs> But again, it goes back to just what I said. I'm I'm not in the. You don't want to overpay. You don't want to get. You don't want to get over aggressive. You don't want to burn yourself too hard. But when you're in a situation where you need a quarterback and you need a quarterback badly and you clearly have one that you like more than another in a class, I'm not about sitting back. I'm just not. Seattle number five. Seattle can go a couple of different directions. I think that they definitely need help on defense. They need a second corner. Um, opposite Tariq Mullen you can kick Kobe Bryant inside if that's the case but I think the biggest need for them especially with their first pick here in the first round is defensive line they need help at at basically every defensive spot Uchenna Nwosu was great they drafted Boye Mafe last year but they might want a more heavy-handed five-tech edge player less of a speed guy so like a Miles Murphy maybe somebody that you look into a Will Anderson could obviously potentially be available even though he's a lighter guy Jalen Carter I think would be absolutely perfect for them um, but I think it's something along the defensive line. I think one of Will Anderson or Jalen Carter making it to five is the dream scenario for them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it feels like Jalen Carter falling this far and Seattle getting him would be Silly. as good as it can get for yeah. them. Um, Detroit number six, kind of the
1: same thing with Detroit. Um, if it's a, if it's a quarterback frenzy above them, we get three quarterbacks off the board. You're you're probably still not getting Will Anderson or Jalen Carter. Maybe there's a chance one of them's left, but. I'm trying to think of, like, dream scenario. Well, first of all, are you in the quarterback market? Um... I guess I think you are... Maybe the dream scenario is, like, CJ Stroud. Because Br- Bryce at six is... I mean, there's no reason right. to Pipe talk dream. about it. We Not don't even need to talk dream about dream. it. And then, like, is, is Will Levis or CJ Stroud, like, a dream scenario for you? Not over Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. Well, they don't really I don't want to say they don't need Will Anderson anymore, but don't want any James Houston slander here on this show, so I won't do that. The dream is Jalen Carter. But I think if one of the top three quarterbacks do fall, you probably think about it if you're
0: if you're Detroit. I mean if I think you think about if it. If CJ Stroud is there yeah. when Detroit is picking, yeah. That's very hard to turn down because you have Jared Goff. Right. I mean, I know. Look, there's a lot of people in another year. Ben Johnson too that are really enamored with Jared Goff.
1: Yeah, I just you know. Jared Goff had more turnover-worthy plays than he had big-time throws this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, Jared Goff was. He 20, Jared Goff I think, it was like 24 and 15 ratio. I mean, it wasn't good. I mean, there's a reason Ben Johnson was one of the most governed <laughs> offensive minds in the offseason. Yeah. And it wasn't because Jared Goff is the best quarterback in the NFL. It was because hey, look, he took this guy that was that was literally used as a make weight. To get Matthew Stafford, like we got rid of this guy, we took on board this guy's contract, right. to be able to get this trade done for Matthew Stafford. Yeah, like yeah, that is yeah. the value that Jared Goff had at that point, and he turned this guy into somebody who had pretty good numbers, and everyone thinks played well.
1: <sighs> corner is also a sneaky pick that I like here, but I don't think that's a dream. That's just right. a strategy. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's the dream. <laughs> Nobody dreams of a corner. the top. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, Number seven, Detroit did when they took a coup. Vegas Raiders didn't go well. True, quarterback. Uh, Any quarterback may get it to him. Any quarterback. Will Levis, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. Somebody may get it to him at seven. That's what I. That's what I think is the dream for them.
0: See, I said I joked about this before, um, but like if you go back in time to the Denver Josh McDaniels era, you know at the point so there's a few steps in this process, but somewhere along the road is alien, alien, alienating your starting quarterback and getting rid of him, right? Mm-hmm. That's already happening with Derek Carr. Right. Then a few months' time, the next move is to find um, Tim Tebow in the first round. So if that holds, who, <laughs> who are we drafting at number seven? Who's Tim Tebow?
1: Oh, he's just been picking another Florida quarterback. He's just picking anything Rich. Another no, Florida
0: quarterback turned future tight end. And yeah. Whoa. I didn't, that, they, look, this isn't me. Look at Florida's quarterback history. There's quite a lot of future tight ends there. Hey man, that's Jacoby, all I'm saying. Jacoby Brissett's doing great. They've had quite a lot of Jeff quarterbacks turned doing great. Tight ends. They've had two. No, there's like five or six. Okay, wait. Okay, so Tebow counts. Yes. Okay, so Tebow,
1: Felipe Franks. Yeah. Um. Burton. Yep.
0: Trent Burton. Uh. Yeah, we have to count Driscoll because he's had like... Driscoll? No! Driscoll yes, Driscoll no.
1: played quarterback this past year.
0: I'm not counting he him did, as a tight end. but only because like, they had Davis Mills. I'm not like, counting them as a tight end. We've got on. three. He, he became like this gimmick athlete thing. We've got he wasn't three. the quarterback. He became... like They moved him back there once they were trying to lose games again. We've got three. I think there's more. Steve, Steve's <laughs> The Florida guy isn't here. I don't have. I don't have the uh, the kind of encyclopedic knowledge he has of the program. Neither do I. Apparently. Okay, so they're not drafting Tim Tebow in the first, is what you're saying? No. Okay. no they're not. No, they're so not. So what is there? What is Josh McDaniels' dream here?
1: Um, a CJ Stroud, I think it'd be a great dream for them. I think he could work really well with CJ Stroud.
0: What do you think McDaniels' ideal quarterback looks like? Because that, I mean, a, the Tim uh, Tebow joking aside, that was the guy that he zeroed in as. You know he's the he's the the future. Yeah, I think he looks for Jordan Reed. You know, That's
1: big tall. Yeah, but Reed played tight end in Florida. Also, a quarterback. I barely come. Yeah, okay. Uh, I counts. think McDaniel's type is um, bigger, taller quarterback. Um, experienced. You know, probably around forty-five years old. <laughs> um, used to play for the Patriots. Mm. Um Where's number 12? I think those are the attributes that McDaniels looks for in a quarterback.
0: Does the Tebow thing lead you to suspect that, like, the thing that McDaniels values more than anything else at the quarterback position is that, like, leadership, galvanizing, you rally everybody around you quality? Like, the actual playing quarterback part is almost secondary. Like, I need well, a leader first and foremost. Well, I think a
1: lot of – I don't want to necessarily say um, – I don't want to necessarily say that like GMs and head coaches fall for that, but like Sure.
0: I mean it's important. Yeah, nobody dismisses it as a thing, yeah. generally,
1: right? Like but- I think there was a huge part of Jalen Hurts' scouting report, right? Where you take a chance on this guy, it's not only because of his right. ability, but also because of like who he is. And that is kind con- kind of coming to the forefront of like now that Jalen is the starting quarterback of the Eagles, that's a major selling point that everybody talks about. Like this dude is just an unbelievable worker. He's an incredible leader. And like those are the things that i i feel what keeps general managers and head coaches awake at night is not the fact that they couldn't evaluate how talented a player was in the game of football athletically whatever it was what keeps general managers and head coaches up at night is evaluating people like it's evaluating the person that is the toughest part of scouting when you were investing in these guys and so Knowing that, knowing that is such a big emphasis of what could make or break some of the most talented players that come through the draft pool. It's easy to look at the failures of, like, say, over drafting Tim Tebow, and you go, "Like, what are you doing? It's crazy." But it's it it is. An avenue for you to understand why they do it because they want to make sure they hit on that part and then they can teach
0: you the football stuff. They They can't
1: teach you how to be a leader. You have to do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're far more terrified of missing on Tim Tebow the other way than the way that, that he actually missed, right? Like if drafting a uh, someone who's widely talked about as being, like, the best leader in the history of the world. You know, drafting that and the guy not working out, okay, fine, we can live with that. You know, didn't work out, fine, but we drafted a great guy. Mm -hmm. But not drafting him and then him actually working out Knowing that he was this incredible guy that everybody loved and was a leader and would drag his team to the brink and, you know, overcome everything. Right. right. That is what you don't, you don't what, want to right. You that's don't what him, haunts guy. them. Like we don't want to not draft the incredible leader that was obviously an amazing leader yeah. because we didn't think he could play well enough. Yeah. And then it turns out he could. Now yeah. we look like morons. Right. Like right. that I think is way more haunting to these guys. Yeah. All right. So Vegas dream scenario quarterback. Quarterback. Yeah. Whoever So, dream scenario quarterback at seven, or they go home. home? Yeah,
1: I mean, the the dream scenario is that you don't have to move and you get to stay at seven. Now, there is a reality that exists where maybe the quarterback class doesn't go as hot off the board as we thought. So, there is, there. I mean, there is a realistic chance that I think that could possibly happen. Or, you know, you're sitting here and we've talked a lot about Anthony. Or, sorry, we've talked a lot about Bryce Young and Will Anderson. And I'm an idiot. Bryce Young, Will Levis, Mm -hmm. and C.J. Stroud said so many names already. Maybe Anthony Richardson at seven. Like, maybe he's the guy that you think that you could invest in at number seven overall. I think it's pretty high, but I do think that Lee's going to draft Anthony Richardson decently high. An
0: athletic Florida quarterback, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah. Now okay. you could ta- yeah, you could take the Darren Waller spot, I guess. All right. Um, number eight, Atlanta.
0: Dream scenario for Atlanta. I mean, they're another team that needs defense everywhere.
1: Yeah, they are. And uh, there's a lot of avenues that I think Atlanta could be happy with. If you draft any sort of edge pass rusher, that's going to be good in this class. I I love Jared Verse going to Atlanta. He's not in this draft class anymore. He went back to Florida State. I thought that he was going to be a first-round pick for sure. So I thought about him potentially at number eight. Um, The dream is obviously Will Anderson, but unless you're trading out, like unless Atlanta wanted to pop up to three with Arizona. Yeah, um, that's starting to feel very unlikely. And it's it's starting to feel unlikely because you are going to be bidding against teams that are going to be drafting quarterbacks, and that's a really bad place to be. You don't want to be a team who's looking to move up to number three to draft a non-quarterback because you're going to pay the price to outbid teams that are trying to go and it's just the not worth it at that. so point. you don't want to do that but any type of edge rusher a miles murphy uh, a tyree wilson those are guys who have been in this conversation number eight overall is rich for me for both miles murphy and tyree wilson but perhaps that could be a, a spot there where they end up going edge pass rusher Brian Brzee a defensive lineman who I like who's an an uber athletic big guy who he could be a target for them there I also like corner I really do like if they take CB1 off the board to play opposite AJ Terrell like that all of a sudden really boosts what the secondary could be and you go with a guy like um Christian Gonzalez, Devon Witherspoon, those are my top two corners in this draft that I like a lot. I think this is the starting point in the range for when you could see those guys go off the board. So I don't, I'm not sure exactly
0: which one the dream would be for Atlanta, but there's a lot of different options where they could come away and be happy. Brzee and Murphy, both out of that Clemson defense, and Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech. Yes. Right? Um, yeah. Okay, where are we? Number Eight, nine? Or nine. Carolina. We already taught you. I mean, you were pitching them for number one overall. Yeah, I mean, the dream scenario
1: is either you can get a price for number one overall that isn't too egregious, and you go up and get yourself Bryce Young. Um, You can move up to number three and potentially take a quarterback that way. I I mean, the dream scenario is staying at nine, (laughs) drafting, let's say, Anthony Richardson, and he fully pans out. Like, that's obviously the dream. I mean, might be too much of a stretch, but that's why I put the other scenarios out there, too.
0: I will say, obviously, Carolina has not been tremendously well-run in the last couple of years, which is why people got fired. But I think there's something to be said for the discipline they had to not do something crazy last year and draft like uh, Malik Willis in the first round, Mm -hmm. right? Because Just because they needed a quarterback. It's Mm -hmm. like, no, we're going to take Icky. In the top 10, where were they, six? Um, we're going to have the discipline to wait out the quarterback thing, even though we have no picks for, like, the next 100. Uh, okay, they, they We got Matt up, Corral out of it. Right. You, you end up getting Matt Corral. doesn't work out. He gets hurt. Like, a lot of things didn't work out. But you're sort of seeing now that you then take another sort of swing at Baker Mayfield, which, again, I thought was good process that didn't work out at all. Like, just felt came up snake eyes. I thought the Matt Corral thing was good process look so far to have come up snake eyes because he got hurt and we haven't seen anything from him but all of a sudden you're back now with the number nine overall pick and with a shot of doing whatever you need to do to get a quarterback like they through i think good process and being disciplined could feasibly emerge from this draft with a bryce young whereas the Mm alternative like they could easily have gone we need a quarterback now desperately draft Malik Willis at six Mm -hmm. like that would not a year ago that was not outside of the realm of possibility yeah and you know I think Intel goes a long way into that right
1: like you've got to trust your front office your scouting staff to not only evaluate players but like also know what the rest of the league is doing you know because the rest of the league every single team they're doing these mock draft simulations they're they're doing a lot of 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 what could be who's going to be left on the board how when can we wait on a guy and you always try to hit the sweet spot of like going up to make sure we get our guy but not overpaying too much so I do agree with you they could have been in a position where let's even say Kenny Pickett right Kenny Pickett goes off the board as the QB won last year he goes to the um, Steelers much later in the draft but they could have taken Kenny Pickett at right. six or whatever it was in the top 10 and they didn't do that I just think that they probably had some good intel as well to where they probably wanted a quarterback but they realized that taking one at 6 was going to be egregious so um, sure, I guess kudos for some self-control there, but the dream scenario for Carolina is you're coming away with a quarterback that you are really happy with that you think is going to turn the franchise around. I don't know who that's going to be for them. Certainly Bryce Young is, would be at the top of my list. You'd have to pay a pretty penny up to number one overall to go get him. But if you're okay with a C.J. Stroud, if you're okay with a Will Levis, you know, C.J. Stroud's not going to be this home run pick. We talk about not every team liking Bryce Young. Not every team is going to love C.J. Stroud because for as much as he really helped his Scouting report in that final game against Georgia because of how well he played out of structure and under pressure. The rest of his tape this year under pressure was bad. I mean, he he he. I think had a 39.5 passing grade under pressure this year, Te- like terrible. Mm. And think of think of who Ohio State is playing. Right. Nobody's outside of Michigan, and he was awful under pressure. We thought he was bad under pressure last year as a sophomore, and I think he him his grade under pressure was like. 60.3 last year, and it dropped all the way down into the 30s this year. Terrible, but against Georgia, the best defense that he faced, the biggest moment, the brightest lights, he had an 82.9 grade under pressure. That was the best game that anybody had seen from him. It's the final game that we saw from him. But all that to say, some teams are going to look at that last game and be like, "See, right? I told you. Look how good he can be under pressure." And other teams are going to be like, "Mmm, it's one game. So there's no guarantee that he also could go." he's like a lock for the top three he could maybe slide a little bit and if he does maybe that's the dream scenario for carolina
0: yeah i mean i think honestly you paint a good picture of their dream being coming out of this draft with bryce young okay it's going to be expensive but that that's even attainable is i think fairly dream world for carolina to be able to come out of that draft with what is the best quarterback prospect in this draft and on your way to somewhere um last team in the top 10 Mm -hmm. philadelphia i mean is the fact that they're picking in the top 10 dream enough yeah, like, yeah, they're, they're in the NFC Championship game and they have a top ten draft pick. Uh, I mean, just they could they could win the Super Bowl and have a top ten draft yeah. pick. It
1: is it is absolutely wild. And there's not a lot of weaknesses for this team, right? It kind of depends what their offseason is going to look like. It kind of depends who they're going to lose. James Bradbury is playing unbelievable for them, so I feel like if they can bring him back, they probably will because they probably think they're they're in a long term Super Bowl window. But if they don't bring back James Bradbury christian gonzalez devon witherspoon getting cb1 in this class at number 10 would be incredible i would love to see devon witherspoon in this philadelphia eagles defense i think that that would be a ton of fun i think that that could be a dream scenario for them and maybe an, an interior pass for sure like if brian brazee happens to make it to number 10 you put the athleticism of brazee next to the uniqueness of Jordan Davis mm. and all of a sudden like that's a pretty nasty interior defensive line. That is just some unique size, strength, speed ability from both of those players. That's a very Philadelphia move as well. And like, it 100% is future proof like, that defensive line again. You know, and I can sit here and say like this Philadelphia Eagles team adding John Robinson would also be like unfair, but <laughs> Is drafting a running back at 10 a dream? I don't know. Bijan's the best to choose from in this class. He was one of three blue-chip players that Mike had that we talked about on It's Just Football. He had Will Anderson, he had Jalen Carter, and he had Bijan Robinson as the three blue-chip prospects in this class. So if you get one of those guys at number 10, is it still worth it even if it's a running back? Maybe for a team like Philadelphia, but that's probably where I would look. Something along the defensive line, or then if you want to get crazy and throw Bijan Robinson into this, I guess you can. That would be fascinating.
0: It would be fun. I'm I'm a lot... I've, over the over time i've become a lot less entrenched against drafting running backs high versus paying them like i actually think because of the rookie contract scale even the most egregious running back contracts in the draft are not that bad like the no, thing that fine. you really don't want is the zeke elliott contract no no she's like, absolutely that's the worst thing you can do yeah. when it comes to running back value yeah okay spending a first round pick on a running back generally don't like it because of what you potentially pass up mm-hmm. with that first round pick but like you know what the jets did with breeze hall i don't really have a problem with that at all um and if a guy like bijan robinson out of texas comes along who's being talked about as this like adrian peterson level prospect yeah right i mean if he's that good a mid to high first round draft pick is not terrible value yeah
1: I would tell you it's closer to like a Christian McCaffrey comp where what Bijan brings is not only incredible ability as a ball carrier out of the backfield, but also receiving ability, right? He's a really damn good receiver. There are times when Texas would even put him in the slot. You know, I think that McCaffrey was better receiver coming out of Stanford. And especially like now in his NFL career, he's just so seasoned as a pass catcher out of the backfield that like he's ahead of where Bijan is now, but Bijan could get to that point he's that naturally gifted
0: yeah i mean my comp with the adrian peterson thing was just the sort of the caliber of prospect not even that but like how good he's seen as a prospect like adrian peterson was this absolute can't miss best running back to come along since you know whoever um you know and and had been like since his high school days like Mm -hmm. that was a guy who was being talked about as he could have gone straight from high school to the nfl you know, we got to wait Right. To get through this Oklahoma career before we can finally draft the guy right. in right. The top 10 somewhere. Yeah. Um, so, like, that's the kind of caliber of prospect we're talking about here, at which point, you know, I think there is a discussion to be had about how early is too early to draft a guy like that, given the opportunity cost and the contract and blah, blah, blah. And I think it's probably higher than certainly a lot of people, <laughs> certainly a lot of people that have PFF attached to their names would be. Want to admit? Well, that's that's the
1: thing, man. Me and uh, Connor Rogers on the NFL Stock Exchange podcast, we do mock drafts all the time, and we'll get to the twenties of mocks, and we'll go like, all right, well, where's B. John Robinson going to go? You know, like right. Dave, even Daniel Jeremiah from NFL Network, I think his mock that he put out last week, he had uh, he had Bijan Robinson going twenty eighth to Buffalo, wherever Buffalo's pick at 29 whatever it is, and. Uh, I think everybody who makes a B. John Robinson selection in the late 20s says, well, he's probably going higher than this. We just don't know where. We don't know what team is going to take a chance on him, but he's just going to be viewed as one of the best prospects in this class.
0: And also, I I think this is probably bad process and some kind of fallacy, but if I'm Philadelphia and I have a second draft pick coming along at 31 or wherever it might end up being, Mm -hmm. somewhere at the back end of the first round, I'm going to be more inclined to take that oh yeah risk for sure it's not even a risk i mean i'm more inclined to accept the loss of opportunity because i get another opportunity in 20 more picks
1: and and that's you know wait are you saying the teams at the back end of the draft
0: no if i'm philadelphia i would be more inclined to take a running back oh because you have knowing that i have a second first rounder coming along than if i just had the one first rounder it's like this is your guy you get a running back like, well, yes. I, I also need a defensive tackle. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm right. more inclined to do that knowing that I have another pick, 20 picks coming down the line. 100%. Makes it a lot easier. And I don't know that that's necessarily smart, but I, I think that's a psychological thing that will work in his favor for a team like Philadelphia sitting there. Yep. I agree. All right. I do agree. Those are de- dream scenarios for the top 10. There you go. Trev, mm-hmm. appreciate it, sir. You've done a fine Steve impersonation. Minus the hair. I was gonna say, you need to grow out the hair, and, the and I need to, and I need to buff up on my Florida quarterback yes. tight end. Tight end, which, but I'll be yeah. ready next Pathway. time. I'll be ready. You also need to grow about a foot, but these are. These I'll, are just, all things, I'll just pump the chair up. These are all things we can work on. Yeah, little. you know, for it's, next time, it's all teachable. I have, um, I'm a toolsy guy. I got a lot of tools. Exactly. Full circle pod there. Beautiful. Full circle pod. That's why you're a pro. That's why you're on three <laughs> podcasts today. Um, for everyone else, thank you for listening. Myself and Steve, I believe, will be back tomorrow on Wednesday, same time, same channel. Thank you for watching. We hope you enjoyed it. Talk to you soon.